Okay, something supernatural and something practical. Today's message is, I hear you knocking, but it ain't the pizza man. I hear you knocking. We're going to have one verse of scripture, and then we're going to go to um, Acts chapter 12, and we're going to read some, and we're going to see what God's got to say. Acts 12, 16, but Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. I'll just say right here, up front now, why is it, why is it that when God answers an extravagant prayer, why is it that we're so surprised? You ever thought about that? Wow, look what God did. Gee, did you hear about that? Oh, this is so cool. Well, we need to be excited but now, let's read this passage of Scripture because there's several things I want to say about this beginning in Acts 12. Let's start reading the Scripture. There you go. Okay, I'm waiting. I'm patient. And, and, and here at PWAC, you know, what you see is what you get. Now, Peter was actually in prison. And why he was in prison is because tyranny was on the rise governmentally in Israel. And also, religious persecution was on the rise. Herod imprisoned Peter because he had just killed James, the brother of John. He'd executed him with the sword. And it's like, y'all ever been around a dog that got a taste of blood? I was raised on a hog farm. And one thing we, we knew, we had bulldogs around there all the time. And, and various other kind of dogs and stuff that we used to work our hogs and stuff with. And we discovered that if one of our bulldogs ever got in the field and killed a pig or a calf or whatever. Once they ever got the taste of blood, you just had to take your gun out and you had to um, put him to sleep. Because he would never be satisfied. He would continue to do that. Now, in a religious sense, the same thing was happening in the book of Acts. The religious, the religious climate had been inflamed by the persecution of Stephen the illegal and unlawful execution of Stephen that inflamed the Jews. Now Herod, in a governmental way, had just killed James and Herod's governmental system, or the government of Herod, became inflamed because it tickled the fancy of the Jews. And what you had is you had a religious spirit at work, working unlawfully, and a governmental uh, tyrant working unlawfully and the two you know for lack of a better way to put this they just come together and they just began to go crazy and so Herod imprisoned Peter because the make the Jews happy and after Passover he was going to have Peter executed okay and so what we have here is so Peter was kept in prison but prayer was being made earnestly to God for him by the church Next, on the night before Herod was to bring him out for execution, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. And by the way, there were 16 of them. 16 of them guarding one man. They had him chained, two guards sitting beside him in his prison cell. Everywhere there was a gate or a door, there was at least two more. 
a total of 16 men put in here to guard one little Jewish boy, or one little Jewish man. And I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what was going on there in just a little while. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell, striking Peter on the side. He woke him up and said, quick, get out, get out of here. That's sort of what I said. Then the chains fell off his wrist. Get dressed, the angel told him, and put on your sandals. And he did so. Wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. So he went out and followed, and he did not know that what took place through the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. After they passed the first and second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. They went outside and passed one street, and immediately the angel left him. Boom, he was gone. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. See, this was going to be an event. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had been assembled and were praying. He knocked at the door in the gateway, and the servant named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice, and because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the gateway. You're crazy. <laughs> You're crazy, they told her. But she kept insisting that it was true. Then they said, it is his angel. Peter, however, kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astounded. Motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he explained to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Report these things to James and the brothers, he said. Then he departed and went to a different place. At daylight, there was a great commotion among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. After Herod had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards and ordered their execution. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. What I have read to you is one of the most astounding passages of the Scripture concerning the miraculous that you'll find anywhere. If I can get my... Bible open here. Don't worry about that. It's not notes. Here's, here's kind of where I want to start. Let's kind of go back up to the first of the verse. But I want you to understand this was an important event. Herod and the Jewish leadership had set out to execute every single one of the apostles they possibly could. That was the plan. They wanted to snuff out the opposition to uh, the the, the um, the order and the way things were in the nation. They wanted to end this thing which was now being called Christianity. We know in retrospect as we look back in history that every single attempt that's ever been made to squash out the Jews has backfired because God has had his hand on it because he has, he has a plan for the earth. God was not about to sit in heaven and wait for all the apostles to be executed and then start over again, or let his program die. And I want you to understand something today. Regardless of where you are in your situation in life, 
regardless of uh, anything going on in your life and regardless of how bleak and dark the situation is, you need to understand that you're no different than one of these apostles. In that, God is simply not going to let the enemy have the upper hand in your life because he's got something special for you to do that only you can do and he's going to incorporate you in his great kingdom work in this age. You need to go ahead and understand that. How many of you have thought that you were simply going to die the last two years? Things have been so screwed up in your life. You've hurt so bad. Things have went, went just absolutely haywire and it didn't look like there was going to be tomorrow. How many of you have probably lived in that sort of environment for the last two or three years? Take a look around. You ain't dead yet. Has the enemy been allowed to eat you? Have you missed very many meals? Do you still have somewhere to sleep? Do you still have a vehicle to drive and get around with? Have you experienced the hand, the miraculous provision of God in your life over the last two or three or four or five years? And for some reason, against all logic and sensible thought, that God has continued to every single day not only meet your physical needs, but He's manifested Himself in your life. And when you've called and knocked on the door of heaven, He's answered. We need to be reminded of that because if we're not careful, if God doesn't send us a miracle along every two or three days, our faith level will drop and we'll get down in the mully grubs just like everybody else. Dan Hartley, a dear friend of this ministry and a ministry partner of mine, Dan said he needs at least three miracles a day to keep his faith up. That's the way it works, isn't it? And of course, Dan's just funning, okay? And what I want you to see, and part of the whole purpose of our ministry here on Sunday morning, part of the thrust of the teaching is to, is to call your attention to recognizing the miraculous hand of God in your life and being able to relate that back to Scripture and embrace the practical truth that you're no different than the people who lived in the early church and who saw stuff happen on a regular basis. You know, just like yesterday in the wedding, when the anointing came, and we almost had church. You know, that was a tremendous thing to me. And I told them from the get-go, I looked up at, at, at Jim and Robin, and I said, there's an anointing here. And I was not speaking, I was not trying to be, what they call it, uh, psychological, uh, suggestive. Man, I was just stating the truth. And the Lord manifested there on the tail end of that thing, and it got good. Well, you know what? When God breaks through your ordinary to do the extraordinary, that's a miracle. When He does anything during the course of the day to get your attention, to knock on your little door, that's a miracle. If He can do anything to jog you out of, of what we would get into, the, what we call the mully grubs and the routine of life, if God does anything to, to just shake you out of that, it's like a miracle. And in this passage of Scripture, they're just miracle after miracle after miracle. Would anybody like to guess why Herod had Peter chained up between guards, then he had two more stations of guards before they ever got to the iron gate that kept the prison shut to the gates of the city? Why did he go to such extreme? Why is it that he put 16 big Roman centurions or, or Jewish um, Mossad people 
I watch NCIS. Okay. 16 secret agents, 007s. Why did he put 16 of the royal guard, rough and tough and rumble ready guys, his 16 most trusted people, why did it take 16 people? Why was he so concerned about Peter getting away? That's right. Peter now had a reputation. Uh, he was a guy that walked in signs, wonders, and miracles. God did cool stuff around him. What else? Filled the power he walked in. Remember a couple sermons back? We made mention that on one occasion the Sanhedrin had all of the apostles locked up at one time. And they were going to, they didn't know what to do with them. I mean, I mean you, we're living in a day and age where, where society did not know what to do with these people called Christians. Because the Sanhedrin locked 12 of them up one night and was going to bring them back before council the next day. And when, <laughs> when the day dawned, those apostles were in the courtyard of the temple teaching the people and the Sanhedrin was looking everywhere for them because God delivered them during the night. And Herod was so uh, paranoid about Peter getting away, he had him locked up, bound up in between 16 people. He was trying to prevent the Lord God Almighty from doing any kind of weird sign, wonder, or miracle. He was taking every precaution he could naturally to keep a miracle from happening. Because he didn't want Peter to get away. He, Peter was like a slippery fish. But guess what? As you can see, the best laid plans of mice and men failed. You see, here's what I want you to get at this junction of this message. The best laid plans against you. The best thing Satan can do against you. You're like a slippery fish. And for the last year or two years or five years or ten years, ever how long you have thought you've been in prison, the enemy knows you're a slippery fish. And he, know, he knows something that you don't know. He knows that even on his best day, it's hard to keep a grip on you. Because you're slimy and you're slick and you're a fish. And, and you like the water. And he knows that if, if, he's, if he messes up that you're back in the river again and it makes it even more difficult for him to get. And he's going to do everything he can to keep you bound up, locked up. And with, he'll put all, he'll station all kinds of demons of hell around you and he'll try to manufacture all kinds of circumstances just simply to keep you from being able to engage the Lord and begin to be in process toward a great kingdom adventure in your life he wants to just do everything. He's scared. Y'all, he's scared to death. We think, listen, we have got this incredibly stupid notion that he is like Godzilla. And I'm not taking anything away from the enemy. You hear me? He was created other than God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. He was created the next thing in order of power and beauty. But he was a created being. He still is a created being. And his mistake was he wanted the glory of God. Now I have a preacher friend of mine. He's dead now. He's with Jesus. This is what he used to say. 
He used to say, God is liberal with his grace, but stingy with his glory. The enemy's downfall is he wants all the glory of God. And you are, you are attached to that. And he doesn't want you experiencing any kind of victory, any kind of safety, any kind of joy. He does not want you to have any kind of praise because he knows that if you kind of get loose, there's trouble in, it, there's trouble in his camp. And I'm not saying this just to stir you up. I'm telling you this is the gospel truth. He, is, he used to be, maybe he was at some point, kind of like a Godzilla. He was the god of this world. I guess that makes him a Godzilla. He was the prince of the power of the air. But he was defeated at a place called Calvary. He was detoothed and he was declawed. On his best day, he can't do anything with you because you've got the power of the living God of glory in you. When you were given the new nature, we learned this a few weeks ago. When you were given the new nature, it says that not only were you given nature, but you were given power. And what he wants, you to, ha- what he wants to happen in your life, he wants to make sure you never learn how to use what God has given you to use. He wants to make sure he keeps you buffaloed from discovering that you have the power of a creative God living inside of you and that because he's in you, greater is he that is in you than he's that's in the world. He wants you to be afraid that God won't hear your prayers when you knock on heaven's door because of the sin that you've been involved in in the past, your screw-ups and your failures. He wants to keep reminding you of that. And what you need to do is you need to completely and totally turn off the lie that's coming into your ear and into your spirit and you begin to read the word and you begin to identify with the persons that Jesus has dealt with down through the ages in terms of his people and you need to see what he allowed them to do and you need to understand that you're no different than they are. Hebrews chapter 11 was written and in there there's records of people just exactly like you. The call to the church today is to rise up. You're a slippery fish. Now, getting back to the story, the devil is just as, afra- just as afraid, maybe more so today, and this is probably just a guess on my part, but he's probably more so afraid today of the church of Jesus Christ than he was back then because we're greater in number. And there's something going on in the body of Christ today. You know, I don't know where you are in terms of um, uh, accepting or rejecting revival. You know, I just don't know. Now, when Lakeland came along, we, here was our position on Lakeland, that God was in it. But everything there wasn't God. But God was in it. When Lakeland shut down, do you think God shut down? You know what, you know what really happened at Lakeland? Lakeland caused an awareness in the body of Christ that If it can happen in Lakeland, if somebody can be healed in Lakeland, then they can be healed in Jessup. If God does a miracle in Pensacola at the revival that went on down there for years, then God can do a miracle here. And so see, what Lakeland did is it just absolutely contributed to the development and the thrust of faith. It it sort of kicked us up another notch. And we've got people running around all over the globe today that simply believes that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That all I have to do is ask in Jesus' name and it'll be done. People are believing that. Now, in here, Peter was kept in prison 
but prayer was made earnestly to God for him by the church. Now here's the picture. Peter was asleep. If you knew that probably tomorrow morning you were going to be pulled out of your prison cell and you were going to be carried out somewhere and executed, how much sleeping would you be doing? You know, this is the way I look at Scripture. This is the way I sort of analyze. How much sleeping would you be doing? A lot of y'all have a hard time going to bed at night anyway. We've got a bunch of night owls in here. But for those of you who do sleep soundly, would you be sleeping a lot? I don't know, maybe not. But Peter was comfortably sacked out. Why do you think that was? Why do you think that was? He knew. He knew. He knew. He knew that Herod could not kill him unless God allowed it to happen. And based on his previous experience with God, God was not through with him, and God was not going to allow that to happen. I believe that Peter was sitting there, and he absolutely knew on the inside, you know what? God's going to do something tonight or in the morning. And um, I'm cool with that. And I want to get a good night's rest so I can, I can take it all in clearly and so I can witness to it later because it's going to be a real cool thing. I simply believe that's where Peter was. And you can believe what you want to. But he was, he was nested down for the night. And I don't believe those 16 men were asleep because they'd done seen what happened to other guards who'd let prisoners slip away. See, if you were a guard in those days and you let a prisoner escape, you lost your head. His life for your life. That was the rule. I don't think any of them were asleep. And I think they were all scared to death because they knew what God had done. So now, and, and I'm just going to kind of just graze into this, okay? And this is, how, this is how I look at Scripture, and I'm totally amazed by it. So Peter's laying there asleep. You've got, you got 16 paranoid guards who's not going to sleep. But yet, in the supernatural, in, in the spirit realm, that invaded the reality of that jail cell, an angel appeared. Peter's still asleep. And a light shone in the cell. Guards still guarding. They didn't see the angel, and they didn't see the light. It's kind of like the Damascus Road experience of, uh, of Saul, to be honest with you. But here's, here's just the fantastic way that God worked in this instance that we don't have recorded anywhere in Scripture. Okay, and I, I don't know if I can even explain this. Okay, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to take a chair here. I need a volunteer. I need a volunteer. Who wants to volunteer? Okay, Jim will. James will volunteer. He's going to be Peter, and he's going to be stationed. I need, to, I, need, uh, I need two other people. Sit down here, Peter. Enjoy yourself. You're going to die tomorrow. Okay. One guard here. Need one more person. Got two people. Okay. Now here's what happened. You're asleep. You're going to die tomorrow, but you're asleep right now. 
<laughs> I like the little additions they do. Okay, here's what happened. <laughs> okay, got to be serious here for a minute. Okay, here's what happened. I need one more person. Come on. She, okay, she wants to be the angel, okay. She knows the angel dude was bad, okay. And so this woman is volunteering to be bad or good, you know. Stand right here. Okay, so what happens is, is during this whole encounter, this angel comes in. Give us some light. Blast us real good. Oh, he's still asleep, okay. The guards are still here, but they don't know what in the dickens is going on because we found out later in the scripture that the next day when they found out Peter were gone, they were all astonished. So I'm telling you now, the scripture nowhere said these people were asleep. Okay, nowhere does it say that. As a matter of fact, there's evidence to point to the contrary. I believe they were fully conscious. They were fully aware of what was going on. And here was Peter asleep. But this angel comes into the room. Lights pops on. This angel hits him. <laughs> yeah. Smote him on the side. Okay. Now he's in a stupor. Okay. The angel has just come in and smacked him. You know, and people complain about Smith Wigglesworth smacking people. Okay. But the angel comes in and smacks Peter. But Peter, just once. Now, if it, was, if it was the Cheryl angel, it could be a numerous number of times, but you're not the Cheryl angel, okay? <laughs> no. Okay. So here's what happened. Dude was in the chair, but he was in this stupor. He was fogged up. And the angel says, get up and put your coat around you. So he gets up. He puts his coat around him. I need, I need a coat. No, I just need a coat. I need, I need, I need something. Yeah. I'm, the guard is real helpful here. But she knows what's coming. She knows what's, <laughs> she knows what's coming. So Peter's still in the stupor, and the angel's still before him. There's still a light in the jail, okay? And if and both of the guards are still aware. Now this is so you got to get this. You just got to get what comes next, okay? And so puts his cloak around him, okay? And so that's a big cloak, okay? And the word says. They began to move out. Okay, and they got to the whoop, the first station guards. You need two more people. One more people. I need two more guards here. Who are they? Sierra. Come on, Sierra. Sierra. Come on. Okay, right here. One on one side and one on the other. One over here and one over here. Now, that's right. And they passed through here. And wait, there's another bunch of guards. Need two more. William, come on. Jay's got this one on this side. Okay, it's getting serious now that the... the the dude guards are coming out. And so they pass through these two guards. They come out here. The gate, they don't touch the gate. The gate just, it goes open and they go out. Now, in the meanwhile, you've still got these two guards here. You've still got these two here. You've still got these here. And you've got all the rest of them there. <laughs> what? Here's the thing, okay? Peter's gone. He's in a stupor. He doesn't know what's going on. He's in a, he's in a glory fog. But until, but, but all during the rest of the night, through the night, until daybreak, these two guards still think Peter's here. These two think Peter's still there because they hadn't seen Peter pass. Yeah. 
These two, just like the other two, think Peter's still there because they hadn't seen him pass. All through the night. Here's what I believe. Now, you don't believe this, you don't have to believe this, but come up with a better solution, okay? They thought Peter was here. The visible evidence, looking at it from the natural, Peter was still here. But Peter was gone. When daylight came and natural light began to come into the prison, they discovered that the natural body of Peter was gone. Okay, y'all all have a seat. Thank you. Y'all give them a hand. Here's the thing. When the angel appeared and the supernatural light shone in that room, the supernatural took over the natural. And they thought Peter was still there. That gets me going. Because I believe, here's what I believe. I believe the supernatural light of God is still shining today. And I believe as you walk in your destiny, and when you just get to the place where you become excited about what God's going to do because you know there's got to be a miracle out there and it's probably going to happen tomorrow because if it doesn't, your jig's up. And when you can get to the place where you can absolutely rest in God and have full confidence in what he's going to do, you can sleep through the night, the supernatural light shines on you, and you actually become untouchable by the enemy. See, that's what it's like to live and be absorbed in the kingdom of God. Some of y'all have experienced that. No, you may not have become invisible, but you may have. I don't know. The enemy may have come looking for you one day, thought you were still here, but you were gone. You were somewhere else, causing him mayhem and mischief in another place. And he, said, and he finds that you, he thought you were there, but you're gone, and he says, oh no, he did it again. I think Jesus delights to frustrate the enemy just because he can. Now, having said that, let's go, let's go to another place. And I think here is where I kind of want to make the application and um, begin to wind down a little bit. But I'm not winding down in terms of the application. Peter was in prison and the word says that the church was in prayer for him constantly. And I don't know how to say this, but I'm just going to say this. If something today were to happen and a leader, or you were put in prison, would the church still 
Pray constantly for you to be released or for the leader to be released. Our prayers are usually confined to about 15 minutes. Most of the time, the majority of us find it hard to focus 15 minutes in prayer. But the church of Jesus was meeting constantly, praying for Peter, praying for a miracle. I am sure without question they were reminding God of how he had delivered the apostle out of prison before in dire situations. I'm sure they were flooding heaven's gates with the memory and the recollection of what God, this is what you used to do. Now we need to see this done again. They had precedence for it. But today, would the church rally for one person and would they be in 24-hour day prayer until something happened for that one person? It would be rare. I'm not going to say it wouldn't happen, but it would be rare. Maybe if they were in the hospital. That's good. That's good. Maybe if they were in the hospital. Maybe if they were sick. You know. But unfortunately today, and I'm just going to say this because I'm one of you, we're so absorbed and so consumed with our own little life and our own little agenda and our own little world that we find it difficult to focus 15 minutes on the needs of somebody else for the kingdom's sake. We find it difficult to focus for a kingdom purpose and a kingdom need. We find it difficult. But you know what? God is through the economic times and through the the age that we're living in, he's removing a lot of the stuff in our lives that distracts us and he's going to get the church to the place again where she's going to begin praying 24 hours a day and she's going to begin identifying kingdom needs and purposes and she's going to be crying out to God for that. And we're going to get to the place one day really, really soon where somebody is going to be in prison and and unjustly charged and, and they were the object of some tyrannous plan of the enemy and the church is going to begin praying and we're going to start seeing stuff like this. There's going to be leaders, listen to me, there's going to be leaders in our nation who are going to be put in prison for the sake of the gospel. Laws are already on the book. It's just a matter of time before somebody makes a test case. The leaders today of the church of Jesus Christ, the people who speak forth the word and who declare and who teach, and even the youth teachers, the, the, the people who teach the youth, there's going to be test cases come along. We're going, some of us is going to go before a judge somewhere. And, we're going, and the only thing standing between the person in the courtroom who has violated the law of the land and jail is going to be the sound of a gavel that hits the stand. And there's going to be churches somewhere that's going to be praying for those people and they're going to be released and miracles are going to happen. We're going to have to have that. The thing I brought you to this point is this, is that the church today has got to discover the lost practice of intercession. Intercessors have got to rise up. We can no longer afford to pray mamby-pam repairs. We've got to get our business in order to the place where when we knock on heaven's door, heaven's going to hear us. Not that heaven hasn't been hearing us, but there's a threshold that we're going to have to go across in terms of our relationship with God and our, our track record with God. There's a threshold that we're going to have to go past that's going to allow us to be able to so touch and discern the heart of God that we will actually pray that thing down and see stuff happen right now. Because see, we don't, we're living in an age where we don't have a whole lot of time left. I don't know how you feel about it, and I don't want to preach doomsday and make you feel bad, but I'm telling you, I believe I'm going to see Jesus come again. And if I'm going to live long enough to see Jesus come again, 
there's a series of events that prophetically must happen before he comes that I'm going to live through and you're going to live through. And so we're entering an age where God is absolutely determined to have a church operating in the supernatural, knocking on the door of heaven, having a relationship with Him that will absolutely and totally demand that the forces at work in nature and in the physical realm give way to the heart of God supernaturally, and things are done that quick. That's where He's got to have the church. And the intercession is making a movement toward that end. You know, if, if I were to go to jail, would y'all pray for me? Would y'all have 24-hour prayer? You better. You better. Or instead of me knocking on your door, it might be my angel. And he would be mad. <laughs> you know, that's what they thought. They were astonished. And so here's the next thing. It's when we begin to, when we begin to <clears throat> intercede and when we begin to have access to unlock and unleash the purposes of God from heaven and see a shaking in the earth and things come to pass in a supernatural way that we've never seen before. When we get to that point, we don't need to go to the knock on the door that we hear and we respond to that and, 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 and we're surprised at what happens. The little girl who went, she recognized it was Peter by his voice. There was no doubt in her mind. She goes back and they tell her she's crazy. You know, the adults didn't even go to the door to start with. You're crazy. You're interrupting us. We're praying here. We're praying that Peter be released. And you go to the door. You just heard, we didn't hear that knock. Ah, there's another sermon there. Isn't it? We didn't hear that knock. But Peter was knocking. Who went? It was the young person who went. The person whose ears didn't have a lot of filters to it. The person whose ears was not steeped in religious tradition or experience and said, God, we're going to pray and we're going to pray like we've never prayed before, but you know, I don't really think God's going to answer. This young person, praise God for the young people, this young person got a hold of it and she heard something no one else heard. She responded to it. There was the voice she recognized as Peter. She goes back and the old folks just put water on her fire. Can't you just imagine her jumping up and down? No, 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 it's Peter. And so she runs back to the door and the only person to let him in the room, the only person that answered the knock was the young person. That's the call on the young generation today to answer the knock on the door and to hear the voice of truth and reality and declare it to the old people. You know, we think we got our business together. We haven't seen anything until we see the next generation absolutely and totally unleashed in the earth. And what we're trying to do here is we're trying to raise up a generation of young people who absolutely and totally in their prayer life demand to see the results that's promised in the Word. That's what we're after. It started with an itty-bitty group, but it ain't so itty-bitty anymore. And so young people, we got a bunch of them sitting over here. Some of them couldn't be here. Young people, listen to me. Got some over here. Listen to me. I want you to bother us. You have my permission to bother us. You have my permission. You have our permission to, to bother us about what you hear in prayer. 
You have our permission to bother us when you, see a, when you get a vision or a dream. You have our permission to bother us when we've been praying and we overlook the answer that's right before us. You have our permission to correct us. Say, wait, wait a minute. Here's the answer. God has delivered. You got our permission for that. That'd be like a fulfillment of Joel 2, which we've all been looking forward to. And we're seeing some of it, but we're going to see it in a fuller measure. See, this is the mobilization cry for the church and the body of Christ. It's going to be through intercession and seeing the results of God in a supernatural way. You can do this. I hope I'm not the only person in this city or in this region that's, that's preaching like this. You can do this. We are depending on you. The kingdom depending on you. The Father is depending on you. Jesus is depending on you. He died for you. Get up and do what He said you can do. Don't be bashful. Don't be afraid. Boldly go into it. Because we have got to have an absolute army of people going out and declaring and possessing what God said to declare and to possess. We've got to have reality-oriented people who simply believe He meant what He said and He said what He meant and we've got to embrace that and walk in it. Not when we feel like it, but simply because it's the truth and we have His DNA in us and we understand and know that wherever we go, the environment's going to change. Let me share something with you. William, can I give a little testimony that you gave yesterday down in Savannah? Okay. If I don't tell it just like you, forgive me. Nobody will know but those who were there, Okay. We were sitting in the Savannah home group last night. William gave testimony. God, instead of going to bed one night, God sent him down to Savannah to River Street. And he goes to River Street, and he just, God, what you want me to do? William walks on to River Street, and William, William is, he loves the Lord. And he's got a testimony, and he went to be used by God. What time of the night was it, William? Two o'clock. In the wee hours of the morning. Going to River Street, you know. That is a bold step. So here goes William. Doesn't have any weapons with him. Just got Jesus. Goes down to River Street. Begins to walk. And these homeless people begin to come up to William. And, and William, I, I'm going to get, you kind of went there to share Jesus if you had the opportunity. Okay, but you kind of went there to, to be a witness if you were called upon. And so William gets out there. And these homeless people come up to him and they start preaching about Jesus. How many of them was it, William? Two of them. Now, he didn't say anything about Jesus, but it drew out Jesus out of other people and they began to declare Jesus. You know what did that? It's the anointing. It's the presence of Jesus in William that when he went to River Street, the atmosphere changed around him and people, instead of being witness to, they began to testify of the Lord. You know what? I can find biblical precedence of that. I can find where, I can show you in the scripture where people were just walking down the street, Paul and Barnabas walking down the street and this woman who was, a, who was actually a witch, she was a diviner, and she began to prophesy about the Lord Jesus Christ and the ministry of these two men. And they were just walking down the street. Why? Because of the anointing on their life and the presence they carried. It drew out the testimony of Jesus from other people.
Y'all, and I could, I could go on and on and on, but I'm just going to tell you this, and I'm going to close. There's an anointing on your life. There's a presence that you're hosting that cannot be contained. It cannot be measured. It cannot be quenched. It cannot be turned away. And I'm going to keep saying this Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Week after week after week. This is what, this is what God has sent me to declare to the body of Christ is that you can't fail. You can't miss. There's no way to, to step off in water too deep because you're a fish. You're a fish. And the enemy, would, he can get his hands on you, but he can't hold you. It doesn't take money, and it doesn't take looks. It doesn't take a building. It takes you simply walking hosting the presence of the Lord, and just watch what happens. Watch what happens. Now that same anointing that drew Jesus out of these two homeless guys is the same anointing that Peter had that his shadow fell on sick people and they was healed up. You know, he was healed and raised up. It was just, it, the presence manifested itself in a different way. You see? So the anointing in your life is suitable and complementary to whatever the situation in life you happen to find yourself to be. If the anointing in your life that day demands healing, then somebody get healed. If the anointing in your life that day demands a change of environment, then the environment will change. I'm, I, y'all, I'm, I've got to quit right here. I'm, I'm telling you, I, I'm, just, I, I'm, I'm not making a big show. I'm just, I'm just, this is what's in my heart. 